0: Ladies and gentlemen, what a day. The God who made the universe and everything in it looked at us far away from Him, having chosen our own way, as the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before Jesus was born. We, like sheep, have gone astray, each one of us, to His own way. There, is, there are as many ways to be lost as this, in this world as there are people in it. And in all of that, through no merit of our own, through nothing we could do to compel His love and attention. He loved us. He looked down at His fallen creation. Have you noticed creation is fallen? Has that come across to you yet in your personal experience? People are mean, selfish, dangerous, abusive. God looked into all of that mess, into that void, and He loved us. And he sought us. The story of the good news of this book we're opening is not that we have sought God and found him. It's that he seeks us. And in the beginning, we pay him no mind. I was just a child when God, by his grace, gave me faith in Jesus. But I fought him. Even as a small child, I was filled with pride and self-reliance. Just like you. And God loved me patiently through that and brought me to faith. And now we, no matter what else is going on in our world, no matter how grim the news is around us, we have Him as our Father. That's the good news. That's the gospel. It's more than a genre of music. It is, quite simply, the best story ever told if it were not true man could not conceive of a love like that, the Creator dying for His creation. And that's the message we want to give you every single weekend across three services. Thank you for being in this second service of the weekend. We had one yesterday at 5.30. We'll have another here shortly at 10.30 this morning. We're going to conclude a biblical series. I almost always start in a Bible book and work my way through it. That's been my conviction for the last couple of years. For a few weeks, we've been having a topical approach to help you understand from across scripture how God intends Christians to grow up. Because of his love, because of his love for his fallen creation, God welcomes people into his family. That's why Jesus told a religious man in a private conversation one night, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You cannot come into the family of God by physical means. It is the will of God for you to be born into his family, and we've envisioned these stages of spiritual development with this very simple idea of God's family sitting around his table. So, people who are born again are then what now? Even if you haven't heard this whole series, this is pretty self explanatory. People who were born newly into a family are infants, they're baby Christians. They're as loved as they're ever going to be, the love of their father will not increase because it's perfect from the very beginning, but they just don't know. They need to be taught. They need to hunger after the pure milk of the Word of God and by it grow up. Babies turn into children, and children for the first time are interdependent in God's family. They now fully understand who their father is, who their big brothers and sisters are in the family. They are beginning to discover their gifts and their contributions, but spiritually and physically, what is the primary characteristic of a child? He's self-centered, and he can't help it. He wants what he wants, and if you've ever seen a little child be denied whatever he decides he wants at that moment, everybody else can just stop and arrange their lives to get him the blue ball or whatever it is, right? Children have to grow up spiritually through that phase, stop being childish as children of God, and then they become young adults, the young men of First John. And these are people who have experienced spiritual growth, love God, have begun to experience victory in the spiritual battle that rages around God's family every day, And for the first time in your Christian life, if you've reached the chair of the young adult, you are focused primarily on God and other people. The great commandment that Jesus gave to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love other people the way you love yourself, that becomes a practical, visible reality in the young adult chair. But young adults are easily discouraged. When Christians disappoint them, when pastors disappoint them, when the hardships of life come, their early idealism can easily be crushed and discouraged. And finally, if they keep growing, young adults become spiritual parents. And here's the spiritual danger in this particular message that you will buy a very common Christian conception that we've really fabricated and perfected here in the United States particularly. That spiritual parenthood, in other words, that full maturity in Jesus that leads other people to Christ and helps them grow up and be mature in their faith is for a precious select few, mostly people who went to Bible college and seminary. That's the concept. And some of you will already be tempted to stop listening because the very idea of you being fully grown up in Jesus, not perfect, but mature, as I'm going to show you not perfect, but progressing to the fact that you actually remind people a great deal about Jesus and you're able to bring others along with you, the temptation is that you will think that because of your past, your woundedness, your lack of present knowledge, or whatever it is, that that is for a precious few. And if that deception continues, the church of Jesus Christ will be cut off at the knees and the people that God intends for all of his kids to grow up will be stunted because of a poor concept of what God is doing in their lives. Let's put this in physical terms. Those of you who have parent, those of you who have children, how many of your kids would you like to grow up and mature? You have plans that one of them will act like an 8-year-old for the rest of his life? Do you affirm that childishness? If the kid's starting to drive and wrecks the car and lies about it, do you say, that's, that's a good job. I would, like to, I would like you to make these messes in life for the rest of your life. I have such joy in chasing after you to see what you've done now. Any parent ever have that conversation? Now, this seems painfully obvious, but is, is, da- is our heavenly Father a good Father? You think He intends for all of His children to mature? Absolutely. That's why parents are so important. What effect do parents have on the family? Well, parents bring joy because they bring others into God's family and help them grow up. That's what makes a parent. If you think you're a spiritual parent, I would say simply, you might be. But here's the simple question to know. If you're a spiritual parent, please introduce me to your kids. Anybody who's ever had children has a picture. We used to carry them in wallets. Now we carry them in iPhones, right? And I'm becoming that guy. I am quick to whip out the phone and show pictures of my kids. Look at his hair. Look how much he's lifting. Look at him getting this award. Looking at him getting this diploma. Looking at, look at him in this crazy costume. You're proud of your kids, Spiritual parents can point to at least a few other people that they have brought to faith or at least they're helping grow to maturity in Christ. That's the joy of the parent. What are those people like? Well, listen to Paul speak to the Corinthians. The passages today are primarily drawn from Paul's letter to a church he started through preaching in ancient Corinth in modern-day Greece. Paul said to them, though you have countless guides in Christ." You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Many people may teach you about Jesus, but only one person was used by God to bring you into the family, Paul says. That's me. What are Christians in the parent chair like? The defining characteristic of the parent, the thing that separates him from the young adult is a spiritual parent for life takes responsibility. For those of you who are parents, have you ever sighed heavily in the middle of real trouble and reminded yourself that you're the grown-up and you just have to take care of this? You ever been tempted to just walk away from it all? That's irresponsibility. Good parents don't do that. They take responsibility, first of all, for making disciples as simple obedience to Jesus. In other words, they take Jesus' last words to his disciples as their first priority. They take him seriously. Here's what Jesus said before returning to the Father. He gathered his disciples purposefully and said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A fully mature Christian takes that simple instruction from Jesus and says, He is speaking to me. That's my calling. That's my obedience to Him. Number two, they take responsibility for staying close to Jesus. A parent takes responsibility. Someone who's not in the family of God has no consciousness of Him, lives in defiance to Him, doesn't give Him a second thought, at least until there's trouble someone who was just born into the family of God, isn't even aware of the issues. They know God loves them. They know they're saved, but that's about all. That phase hopefully ends very soon, and as they become spiritual children, spiritual children are loved by the Father, but they don't want that responsibility. They perpetually put that in the hands of others. That's the sign of immaturity. That's what it's like to raise kids. When they're very young, when things get difficult, they immediately hand that trouble to somebody else. That's okay for a time, but we need to grow through that. Young adults do take that responsibility, but they're easily discouraged away from it. Parents, people who are bringing other people to Jesus and helping them grow up, take their responsibility, their personal responsibility. Independent of what others may do, they make themselves responsible to stay close to Jesus. Here's what Jesus said about that, John 15 verse 5. Read it with me. The Bible says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit… Apart from me you can do nothing a fully developed christian understands that and believes every word that jesus said in john 15:5 Here's the garner version when i'm wedging myself back into the child chair Jesus is the vine i am the branch if i remain in jesus and jesus remains in me i will bear much fruit but apart from him i can at least get started You ever treat the Lord that way? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do how much again? Nothing. Nothing. The breath you just took, that's a gift from Him. Everything you've enjoyed this morning, every part of your morning that has been pleasurable, that's a gift from your loving Savior. A parent lives in the constant presence of Jesus, and takes it upon himself to stay close so that he can bear much fruit. He has experienced and understood that the life of Jesus is the strength, so he consciously, intentionally, not perfectly, but persistently spends time with Jesus. In other words, a spiritual parent no longer needs to be chided and reminded and scolded if the Bible is staying closed. Encouraged, yes, but reminded and taught to go to the Lord, no. Spiritual parents are there. This is why, if I'm to be very practical with you, this is why one of the constant things you'll be hearing in our church, especially those of you who are intentionally being discipled, is what have you heard from God in His Word? Not what content have you mastered, not how much have you read, but as you've read Scripture, what has God said to you? How has He confronted you? How has He comforted you? How has He changed your mind? How has He shaped your choices? A spiritual parent, for love of the Lord, in gratitude to the Lord, takes a responsibility for staying close to Him, and very importantly, a spiritual parent takes responsibility, embraces this simple idea they want to be lifelong examples of how to follow Jesus. And here's where a lot of you will be tempted to check out. I just want to be practical. I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm not aiming this at any specific person or family as God is my witness. I just want to describe to you a phenomenon in the American church in general That crops up in our church since this is my church family. When it comes time for moms and dads to be lifelong examples of how to follow Jesus, they clinch up and knowing how far they have to go, they check out of that race and hand that responsibility to somebody else. It's not God's design. If you have the gift, as I do, if you have the sacred trust of having children, even if they're not in your home, if you still have influence in their lives, the greatest gift you can give your children is to take responsibility of following Jesus yourself and telling your kids, come with me, I'm following him so that all of their lives and all of their ups and downs, and if they're very far apart from Jesus, you keep that bridge up, and you keep things open, and you stay close to Jesus so that you'll love them and give them mercy and give them compassion and give them confrontation in the measure that Jesus would if He were in your spot. And good news, He is your life, he is the vine. He can live His life through you so you can know in any specific situation, no matter how difficult it is with your children, how to treat them as Christ would so that when it really falls apart and they have nowhere left to turn and they're sick of sin and they're like the prodigal son in the famous pigsty and come to an end of themselves at moment, they will turn, and God will turn their hearts, and they will be reminded that there is at least one person who has walked with Jesus all of these years and that you will still welcome them as Jesus would. That's what it means to be a spiritual parent. And it has to begin in your home or your kids simply will not have the greatest chance and the greatest blessing of following Jesus themselves. Listen to Paul talk to the Corinthians again in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Look how personal he gets. I urge you then be, what now? I brought you to Christ, so imitate me. You ever play Simon Says? You have to imitate. You ever play follow the leader? Did they play that here in the United States? I grew up in Mexico. Okay. One of my friends was the most athletic kid in the neighborhood, and he invariably tried to hurt me or kill me by doing things that I couldn't do. Paul says, I'm following hard after Jesus. Come with me. Imitate me. I urge you then be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. There's another one of those spiritual kids it's not just the Corinthians, it's Timothy too. I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere at every church. Paul is consciously living his life out loud, saying to former pagans, idol worshipers, some of the most wicked, dark people that ever lived in the ancient world in Corinth, just keep your eyes on me. Jesus is not physically present in the world, and you are spiritual infants. The Corinthian church, they were suing each other. There was terrible sexual immorality in the church. There was every kind of church trouble in the world. If, if I would have been the senior pastor at the church of Corinth, I would have quit in three months. They were a difficult church. What does Paul tell them? eyes on me. You become a spiritual parent when trembling for the reverence of the sacred task and conscious of all your imperfections and how long you still have to go. You take responsibility to stay close enough to Jesus to tell someone else, I'm following him. You come with me and you offer yourself as a lifelong example. Paul said to the Corinthians at the end of the letter, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's the standard. I won't be perfect at every step, but when you see me acting like Jesus, reminding you of Jesus, showing you the word of Jesus, you do what I do. In other words, parents are those who say, You can follow me because I'm following Jesus. Now, if this sounds too far fetched, listen to Paul speak to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, he said this This is maturity. This is full-blown Christian maturity in the life of an ordinary man named Paul. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. That's maturity and humility wrapped in one sentence. You ever met a parent who claimed to be perfect? If you did, they're scary. I was once at a wedding, and I got seated in the very back at the reception. And I ended up with a guy who had a very interesting look, so I started asking him a few questions about himself. He told me he was an artist, and then he favored me with this. There are only a few great artists in the world, and we all know each other. See, that was my reaction, too. I wanted to laugh. And then I looked again, and he was in dead earnest. And I said, well, that must be very significant and meaningful. He said, it is. It's a great joy. And we we had a great night. I learned a lot. (laughs) People like that worry me. Paul was not like that. The man who lived as much as anyone ever did as Jesus would have him said this, I haven't reached the goal. I'm not already perfect, but look, here's maturity. I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is Jesus took hold of me to make him like himself. And I'm not claiming that I've reached that goal. I'm not claiming I'm perfect, but I am doing this thing. I am striving ahead. I am looking forward to take hold of the very goal of Christlikeness for which He saved me in the first place. Let's read the rest of it. It starts with brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now he's going to talk to us. Keep reading. Let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained – Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, if you can just take that as what it is, a personal letter written to a group of ordinary Christians, you can have a full picture of what Christian maturity is. Paul's saying, I'm not claiming perfection, but I insist on making progress. That's spiritual maturity. The godliest parents I've ever met in the world would never claim that they've raised their kids perfectly. In fact, because they're godly and mature, they're quick to admit their faults. I was gifted by God to godly parents who love Jesus with all their hearts, who Sometimes sinned against God and against me. Here's what saved the whole thing. They were quick to seek my forgiveness. And let me tell you, when you're a six year old boy and the best man you've ever met in your life is down on both knees, taking you in his arms as a six year old, his six year old child, and said, Buddy, that was wrong and selfish and I hurt your feelings and I want to ask you to forgive me. Here I am more than 40 years later and I've never forgotten that moment. Why? Because that's godliness. That's genuine humility. My father never claimed to have reached the goal, but he could always tell me his whole life, come with me, buddy. I'm following Jesus. Watch how I live. Watch how I treat your mom. Watch how I do my work. Watch how I show up on time. Watch how I do more than what is expected. And he gave me as good an example on earth of what any any child could have of what it looked like like to follow Jesus. So, here's the spiritual deception. If you think that a spiritual parent means having perfection, you'll check yourself out of the game, think that that's relegated to people who are seminary graduates or some kind of super-Christians that God makes in a special place and only a few of them a year. And you'll just wait your whole life for somebody else to do that task. And if you wait your whole life, your kids and everyone in your world that God has given you to love will be impoverished because you didn't take Jesus seriously when Jesus said to you, go make disciples. This is what I'm telling you, folks. There is a desperate need among us for confidence, not self-confidence, but Christ-confidence. confidence but christ confidence that you can open Holy Scripture. You can see God's own words saying to you in whatever chair you're in that God's goal for you is to make disciples. Here's the point. You can do anything Jesus told you to do if you obey Him in the first place. If you're just barely in the family of God, you only recently trusted Jesus, and you honestly can't find A book in the Bible, very quickly, you're self-conscious about prayer, you would die if someone asked you to pray aloud. You don't have to identify yourself, but if that's your situation, if you will go to Jesus and say, Lord, I heard your word, that somehow, sometime, in some way, I am to teach other people to follow you. I'm here. Teach me. You'll be shocked at what he can do. You'll be shocked at what He does through you if you start obeying Him in the first place, if you get started. So how do we help parents? We release them to disciple other people. The spiritual parents in this church, and there are many of you, I don't know how many, perhaps of the 700 or so people who call Crosspoint home and are here on an average weekend, maybe a third have grown mature enough that they can confidently and correctly tell somebody else you come with me I'm following Jesus I can't teach you everything but I can give you a good picture of what it looks like to be a Christian we need you to disciple others those of you who are not yet at that point we need you the Lord needs you to be discipled what do they need they need a church family They need an ongoing relationship with their fellow disciple makers. Have you noticed how parents stick together depending on the season of life that they're in? So moms have these play dates that are really more for the moms than for the kids. Because the kids are fine, right? Kids don't even know each other's names. They're so tiny, they don't really quite understand what's going on. Why is that so important to young mothers? So that they can check that everybody else is going crazy along with them. That the anger and the fear and all the things that come with being the parent of a very small child are normal and they haven't completely lost their marbles. Why do parents commiserate around other seasons of life, like that tough little season when they graduate to high school and maybe college, maybe a trade school, maybe a job? Why do they check with each other? Because they need encouragement. They need an ongoing relationship with people who are in that same stage. Listen to this final scripture. This is as countercultural as it gets. Paul is speaking again to the Corinthians at the end of the letter, and he says this, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. That's the region where Corinth is. Stephanus was a man that Paul personally baptized. So in the ancient city of Corinth, a man named Stephanus was one of the first who trusted Jesus. Here's their spiritual parenthood. They have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. That's what parents do. If you are consciously, actively following Jesus, not only for your own sake, but to bring other people with you, if you in some way across the ministry of this church have devoted yourself to care for other people, welcome to the parent chair. That's what it is. Be encouraged. You are serving the Lord's family. Here's where it gets countercultural. Ready? This is going to get really, really anti-American. And what I mean by that is, what I'm going to read next is so completely contrary to our way of thinking that this is one of the things we have to surrender to Jesus. Are you ready? Serious? It's the strangest thing. We're reading Scripture, right? I'm telling you what it means, but I'm not even going to explain it yet. I'm just going to read it to you, and you're going to have an adverse reaction to it if you're standard Americans. And I'm a standard American. Ready? watch this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the whole Corinthian church, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. What if I met you later in the lobby and introduced you to one of the most wonderful Christians I've ever met and said, this person knows the Lord as well as anyone I've ever met, and respectfully and lovingly, he knows Jesus far better than you do. Listen to him, listen to her, and submit to them. How would you feel? Does the idea of submitting to another Christian, is that, is that a warm, fuzzy feeling to you? See, I told you. It's tough, isn't it? Why? Because what we've cultivated in this country, beginning from our very origins, was a fierce self-reliance. The Yankee can-do spirit, and that's not how God grows up people in His family. In a physical family, everybody understands that those who are still growing up need to hear and listen and heed the counsel, the wisdom, the love of those who are older than they. But in the church, everybody says, generally, thanks, I'll find my own way. This is not an apostolic thing. These are ordinary Christians' names. You wouldn't know if they weren't in the book of Corinth. Obscure people who are not mentioned again. And Paul's saying these are people are serious about Christ. They have devoted themselves to serving the family of God. So you find them and follow them. And everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. Listen to the rest of it. I was glad when Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaicus... Name so obscure, I had to check the pronunciation of the last one. They're just not well-known. These are not Christian celebrities. They are ordinary Christians. Because they, these ordinary men, have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refresh my spirit, and yours also such men deserve what now? Recognition. Here's what we're trying to do in very simple, practical terms. What we're trying to do at this church is to take Jesus very seriously when He said to make disciples. And the people who make disciples are other disciples. The disciples of Jesus make other disciples, and when those disciples are mature, not perfect, but mature, they in turn make others who make others who make others who make others, others. and so it has been for 2,000 years now. If you know Jesus, it's because at a certain point, God in His grace made your life intersect with someone who knows the Lord, and they moved in your life through example and through the use of God's own Word in your life in such a way that God moved your heart to start following Jesus because you first saw it in them. And that's what Crosspoint is about. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. Parents finally need encouragement because, folks, anyone… Anyone who faithfully follows Jesus can bring someone else along with them. My sincere prayer is that the outcome of this series is that God will move across this church in a very palpable way that will become evident and real about six months from now. For some of you who are merely church attendees, and God bless you for it, God bless you for being here, but that you would take another step and make yourself responsible to grow up spiritually to the point that you can help others grow up spiritually as well. That's why we're here. I only look across this first service and point to people and give you names of people who are helping other people grow to maturity in Christ. It's happening in our pastoral staff. There are ordinary church members who are helping pastors grow up in their faith. Why? Because disciples make disciples, because titles are meaningless, because seminary degrees are simply an educational step. They're not the end of the road. And if you will humble yourself enough to say there are people that God has put in this church along with me who can help me grow up so that I can in turn can help others grow up, beginning with the kids in my home… You'll be astonished at what God can do, but you have to take the humble first step of saying, I'm going to position myself as a learner, and not only a learner of Jesus, but a learner from another Christian who is a step or two ahead of me that can show me a path that I have yet to travel. And this is real, and this is personal, and this is just as real to me as it was anybody else. A few weeks ago, I was in an educational setting, and for a couple days, I really struggled with the teacher. And I was just disappointed and not grumbling, but just shut off in my spirit until I opened my Bible one morning and I was reading Proverbs and I discovered God pointed out to me through His good word that the problem was not the teacher, the problem was my pride. And I had spent two days in a classroom thinking, I can't learn from this guy. And God said, Bruce, you're proud. Your spirit is closed off, not because he can't teach, but because you're unwilling to learn And at that moment, I asked God's forgiveness, and the rest of the time in that classroom was joyful. But it only happens when you say to the Lord, I'm here to learn. Put me in relationship with somebody who can show me the ropes. And for those of you who are already leading and teaching and discipling and taking people along with you, let me remind you, how many steps ahead do you need to be to lead? Just one. Let's take our next step with Jesus, and let's get moving around the table. Let's pray. Lord, move now in the humble space in our heart where we have pride. Help, Lord, us to recognize it, and we welcome you to break it down. There are parents here, Lord, who so desperately need to make their faith their own and shake off the lethargy and the inertia of doing things the same way. They need to grow up and grow up quickly, and you can do that. You can take them a long way in just a few weeks so that they can then turn to their own children and say, Come with me, I'm following Jesus. Before we do the next thing, do you know Jesus as your Savior? I don't have any direct revelation from God, but my conscious impression for weeks is that there are some of you who have come week after week, and you're right on the edge, but like I once was, you're fighting the Lord, and you're not submitting yourself to Him, and you're not saved because you won't buckle. You tighten up. You put Him off. I'm inviting you in the name of Jesus to turn away from your sin and be saved this morning. And to let us know that by humbly filling out one of those cards and letting us know that you're ready to take that step, I would be delighted. Nothing would make me happier this week than to talk to you and have as long a conversation as you need so that you can be sure you're in the faith. And if you're already in the faith, listen, you're in the family of God to grow to full maturity in Christ and to take a few other people with you, beginning with those closest to you in your little world, the people that Jesus has given you to love. reach out to Him. He has sought you. Now, you consciously, obediently respond to Him. And we're going to celebrate communion as God's family. You're going to be served unleavened bread. You're going to be served fruit of the vine. It's not alcoholic. For those of you who are walking in sobriety, God bless you. Keep at it. This won't make you stumble. And here's the good news about communion. You don't have to be a spiritual parent to be welcome at the table. Jesus makes you worthy. All you have to do is approach the table reverently and gratefully to the Lord and remind yourself that He gave Himself for you. Father, as we move now to do what Your Son told us to do, to look back in reverent remembrance, we offer You this worship, this remembrance of Your body and Your blood. In Jesus' name, amen.